Hello to all the guests, and look inside the uh, brochure in the seat back pocket in front of you, and that'll show you a few things about our church and how it goes. Church is like a family, like we are family in Christ. Uh, you're sec this is like a second home, and we should treat it that way, definitely. So, yeah. yeah. Welcome to all the, the guests. Yeah, let's welcome all of our guests this morning. Gets, it gets nervous when you get up here and all these people are looking at you. Yes. Don't worry. What the key is you pick out a couple that are smiling at you and only look at them. Ignore everybody else. A um, couple of things today. We do not have Epic Alive this morning. Of course, we want all of our students to be in the service with us today. Um, uh, just a, a couple of quick notes also. Um, uh, I'm trying to find what I was supposed to be talking about. Oh, yes. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about out here. You just stay right there. Last week we talked about uh, these invite cards and, and giving back to the people around you and uh, my team informed me that I did a very poor job of illustrating what I was talking about. So I'm going to try to do better. Um, you know, oh. <laughs> uh, inside an envelope, many of you got them, many of you understood perfectly and you knew exactly what I was talking about and you, and you killed it all week. But um, I, I didn't do a great job. But inside one of these envelopes, if you didn't get one, uh, there's, there's a $10 bill, and then there's some invite cards. And the idea is just to use this $10 to spur on generosity in your life, find someone to bless, uh, buy them a coffee, buy them lunch, uh, overtip your server, whatever it might be. And uh, you don't have to, you know, make any praise or any glory out of it. Just leave them a card that says that we hope you have a blessed day. And, uh, and that's it. And then take the rest of the cards and, and give them out. Invite someone to church. You know, Easter Sunday's coming up. And let me tell you a secret about Easter Sunday. People are just waiting for you to ask because they want to go to church on Easter. Because while America doesn't go to church as much as they used to, most of them know we're not sure if you're really saved if you miss Easter Sunday. And so it's like a free win. If you've ever wondered, like, am I going to get a yes? Look, somebody will say yes to you for Easter Sunday. So it's a great time. Take these invite cards. If you don't want to do this, it's no problem. But if you didn't get one, ushers, do you all have those in your hands? You don't. No problem. On, on the way out, the ushers will have those. And uh, we can get you one of these. And it's just a chance to bless some people and, uh, and, and, and an easy way to invite someone to church to be a great time. So grab one of those on your way out. If you got one last week and you loved it and you want to do it again, we'll, we'll, we'll pass them all out. If there's any left, take one. If you don't want to do it, you say, Pastor, that's not for me. No problem. I'm not mad at you, but I still want you to invite someone to come this Easter. Uh, as you prepare your, your gifts, your, your tithe and your offering this morning, I just want to remind you, you know, I'm not going to preach to you today, uh, um, right, right now about giving. Uh, we've been talking about it so much, and one of the one of the big hearts that I wanted to share with you last week, and I and I hope I did a better job of that than I did talking about what we were doing with our envelopes, uh, is that we all have causes in our in our lives, and we we should and we should do good and we should help others, but there is no cause greater than sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no cause greater than inviting people to know Jesus and changing their eternity forever. And so I am inviting you today to share 
in, in this great cause, the cause of the kingdom of God, moving uh, the, the, his church forward. When we bring our tithe, when we bring our offering into the house of God, that's what's happening. We're impacting people all over. And uh, I want to thank you for your generosity. I want to thank you for your giving. Uh, man, I'm just so amazed at, at the faithfulness of the people of God that somewhere in your heart, you're trusting him and you're knowing that what God has given you, you're making a difference with for his kingdom. And so it's tithe and offering time here at Triumph Church this morning. Um, there are several ways you can give uh, today. Number one, you can use the offering envelopes in the seat back pockets. Number two, there are giving receptacles in the foyer. You can give online or you can give as Pastor Lindsay and I do, which is by utilizing our app. If you don't have our app, uh, go to Triumph Church TX. You can download it uh, from the App Store or the, the Google Marketplace, whatever that place is called, Android uh, Hell. I don't know whatever it's called. Um, talking to you, RD. <laughs> Um, but you can download it and, and uh, take part of that as well. But that's how Pastor Lindsay and I give. And uh, so I would encourage you to uh, give this morning and let's be a part of this cause. While you prepare your gifts, ushers, if you would make yourselves available. Ben, you want to pray over our giving today? Sure. All right, let's do it. God, please bless the offerings that the people are giving today and bless the people that are giving the offerings. Make sure to multiply the offerings so it can be used for the greater good, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Y'all give Ben a hand. forward in our service, but uh, last week I invited many of you to come and uh, run an 8K with us and be or, or serve at, at the Autism Speaks uh, 8K coming up on April 27th, and I had you sign up on the app, and I made just a little mistake, and I forgot a part of what we were doing, and so the sign-up didn't exactly work properly. So we know that a bunch of people signed up, we just don't know who you are. So we, I know that you heard that part, and I know that you were excited. I just don't know who you are. And so what I'm going to ask you today, and I'm, I'm sorry, we won't do, I'll try not to ever do this to you again, but we, if you would, please sign up again on, on the app. It should work better this time, should get your information and send it to us, and then we can communicate with you about further details. So you can do that today if you'd like. Uh, right now uh, would be a good time. Uh, I, I'm, my wife and I have been, uh, she's preparing to run her 8K, and I'm talking about preparing to run the 8K. Um, uh, I want to introduce somebody to you uh, this morning. Adam, jump up here. I didn't tell you I was doing this. That's okay. Um, Adam is, ha has been serving as uh, an intern at our Nederland campus for the last year. He's just getting ready to wrap up his first year of his internship. And about, what, February? Early February, I went to my grandmother's 90th birthday 
and he was serving, and we were pulling cars out of the mud in our dress clothes, and uh, people were driving through our yard in the middle of the rain. I don't know why, um, but we were pulling cars out, and, and of course, uh, uh, he asked me, hey, how's it going in Sugarland?" And I said, jokingly, great, when are you moving? And he was like, oh, whenever you say. And we just kind of went on our way. And I was, I was driving home late that night. It was about midnight. I was driving home after, after my grandmother's party. I just started thinking about what I had said. And I was like, man, that's a good guy. Uh, and so a little while later, I, I talked with Pastor Albert, who's over all of our interns. And I kind of, uh, I kind of started, you know, hinting and easing up to it and he jumped right on it, and so I talked with Adam, and, and he talked with Adam, and man, uh, I'm so excited. He's going to be joining us uh, at the end of May for our second, he's going to do his second year of internship right here at Triumph, uh, Sugarland, and so he's going to be moving over. And uh, you know, this is his first time. He's never been on the property before, but God's been speaking to his heart. He's going to Liberty University online. He's all excited. This is an outstanding young man. And I just wanted to bring him up here and show him to you really quickly. Um, uh, you're dating somebody, right? Uh, yes. Okay. So he's, I'm not showing him off, ladies, for that purpose. Um, but I am saying this is a great young guy. And um, when... <laughs> Right. You're getting red right now. It's okay. Um, I, I knew you weren't. Um, so when you start seeing him around and uh, serving, you'll know who he is. Great young guy. His name is Adam Bird, and I'm looking forward to having this young man of God over here uh, joining with us. Um, we're just getting some details worked out, trying to work on some uh, housing arrangements, place for him to live while he's over here and, and serving God. And so if God speaks to your heart on that, feel free to give me a shout. Um, just a little little hint there. But uh, Adam, I'm glad to have you, man. I'm, I'm looking for you coming over, and uh, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much. All right. So I was all prepared to speak to you this morning, had my message laid out, and was just talking with Bishop, and it's been a crazy week, hectic week, and I was over at Bishop Tudor's meeting last night, had a wonderful night, and uh, earlier in this week, just uh, just praying and decided, you know what, uh, I wanted to bring uh, a, a young couple over to preach to you guys today and, and share the Word of God with you. And I want to in invite them up, uh, Pastor Albert and Pastor Catherine. These are associate pastors at our Nederland campus. And so Albert and, and uh, Catherine have been working, they served as youth pastors for seven years. Seven years they served, and uh, y'all come back up, up, up here with me. Uh, they served as seven years, just did an incredible job, and, and God's transitioned them, and they're, they're serving in other areas and running a huge portion of the Nederland campus. And I'm so proud of what God is doing in their life. I was, I was thinking this week, I, I, I hadn't told you this yet, uh, but I called Albert on Friday to go over a few details of the weekend. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, we're rewiring the entire sound booth. Now, mind you, they had a revival service Friday night and a revival service Saturday night, and they choose that day to rewire the entire sound booth. And I'm smiling because in my mind I'm going, you're crazy. And I'm going, what are you thinking? This is all going through my head. And as I'm saying the words, what are you thinking, I then remember 
at 21 years old doing the exact same thing, thing to my father and rewiring the entire system right before a, a Triumph International Convention. My brother-in-law and I are rewiring the entire thing. And I went, you know what? Whatever seed I sowed, now I'm reaping it. Um, now you're reaping it. Um, so, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of this couple. You're not going to find people in your, in, in your life that are more sold out to the kingdom of God, that, that have a more genuine relationship with God than these two. And, um, man, they love people. They love God. They love to serve. And, and more than that, um, Albert is one of the most anointed people that I know. Uh, he, he, he's got his own style and his own way, and somehow through all of that, God moves through him. I like to mess with him a lot. We, it's a, don't oversell. Like, don't oversell. No, I'm, I'm just telling you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not overselling you. I'm, I'm letting you know. Uh, uh, there, there's nobody that I believe in more, and there's no young people out there that I believe in more that I've met anywhere around the country than this couple right here. And that, that's the best way I know to say it. And so I, I've asked them to come and, and share with you today. Pastor Catherine's going to say a couple of quick words. After that, I'll give you a couple of minutes to recover, and then y'all can yeah. preach the word. Mind you, he just told me I was going to welcome everyone. So <laughs> anyway, we just wanted to say um, how excited we are today um, to be here with you. Um, I just want to take a moment, though, and honor Pastor Ren and Lindsay. Aren't they amazing? They're amazing. We have had, we've had them in our lives and as a big part of our ministry for years, for such a long time. And I wish I had more time to tell you all the stories, but I'm sure you're getting enough of that from Pastor Rain on Sunday mornings. <laughs> but um, but um, they've been such a blessing to our Mid-County and Beaumont campuses for such a long time. And we're just excited to see what they're going to do here in Sugarland. So um, with that, I just want y'all give it free pastors. <laughs> All right, everyone. Um, he did call me Friday to talk about the details, but he left out he called me Wednesday to let me know I was preaching here today. And um, immediately God just dropped, the, this is the word, this is exactly what you're going to preach. I'm like, yep, that's it. And then it was Friday that he told me it's Youth Sunday. I'm like, God, those messages don't really match. So here's what I'm going to do. It's Youth Sunday. Let's get pumped up. I was a youth pastor for seven years. I can do this. And I want to leave today. And everyone's going to be fired up and excited. And that's amazing. And he said, no, I want you to do the first one. All right, God, here's what we're going to do. And it wasn't until I was watching these youth in worship that I realized why. And, uh, and I'm going to get to that, so I'm just going to set up a little spoiler there. Um, but if you have your Bibles, let's jump right into the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, verses 23 through 26. And what has just happened is uh, God has come and he's spoken to Saul through the prophet Samuel, and he says, look, I'm tired of the Amalekites. Uh, I'm tired of the rebellion. It's time to just wipe them off the earth. I want you to go destroy all of them, every last one. I want you to destroy all of their property, all of their things. And yet in the midst of it, Saul decided to keep the king as his own trophy, and he decided to keep the best of all the cattle and the goods to keep it for himself. And this is the word that returns to Saul through Samuel. He says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to
And for so many of us throughout our lives that we're constantly told, and I'm sure especially you young people, like, you need to control your thoughts, you need to control your emotions, you need to control your anger, uh, some of you control your mouth, like whatever it is, you need to control it. You need to get it all together, get it wrapped up, get it under control. But what if you can't? What if your actions and what if your responses and what if your thoughts and what if your emotions and what if your feelings are a product of something that you can't control? Let me put it to you this way. If, um, if you had planted a tree and, it, and, it, and it's growing and it begins to grow fruit and it begins to grow rotten fruit, what do you do with the rotten fruit? Pluck it off and throw it away, right? And then if then it continues to grow and more rotten fruit grows, what do you do? We're going to pluck it. I think that made me really nervous to see how pluck it. If someone like just turned into the live stream, it would seem a little awkward. Um, pluck the fruit and throw it away. And if rotten fruit grows, you pluck it and throw it away. But if time and time and time again, rotten fruit continues to grow, can I tell you, you don't have a fruit problem, you have a root problem? And if all we ever do is address rotten fruit problems and never rotten root problems, all you're going to continue to do is grow rotten fruit and be frustrated with the produce that's coming out of your life? And so we have to begin to look a little bit deeper at where these thoughts, at where these emotions, at where these feelings, where these triggers are coming from in our lives. When I was in eighth grade, I had this dog. He was a red healer. He was Archie. And um, when he was about three months old, he, they, they were like, do you all have dogs that are like awesome and tough, but when it rains, they turn into the biggest sissies in the world? So this was, these was these guys, and he was about three months old, and my dad was trying to set him on the over, other side of a gate to block him in the hallway because they were whining and freaking out because it was thunderstorming. Well, as my dad began to set him down, he, he got a little nervous and leapt out of my dad's arms and landed awkwardly on his leg. And for the next few days, he was limping around the house and kind of moping around. And so one day, I remember I saw him, it was about three days later, he was laying on the couch, and I walked up to him, and I sat next to him, and I was like, hey, buddy, you know, what's going on? And as I leaned over to pet him, he turned around and chomped into my cheek. His top two canines came down, bottom two came up. Then realizing what he had done, he starts pulling away, trying to let go. At this point, it's like, now it's kind of funny because my whole face was doing this, but in the moment, he was ripping the side of my cheek off. Finally, he was able to loose his teeth and let me go. That dog never bit me again a day in my life. But what we found out is that when he took that fall, he had actually suffered a fractured leg. And so when I sat next to him and leaned over, I put pressure on a wound that was beneath the surface. And it elicited a response that was out of his control. Some of the responses that you're giving in life are because of wounds that are beneath the surface that have yet to be addressed. And if all we ever do is say, bad dog, stop biting, we're not addressing the brokenness that's underneath. And the reason I, I realize in the moment of worship that's so important for you today is because the enemy wants to come at you now right now to settle wounds in your life, to settle slashes in your heart for broken hardness, for trauma, for things to happen in your life so that 30 years from now when you should be walking into your calling, you're hitting walls from brokenness. That there's people in this room that could probably attest to this, that they're facing bitterness and unforgiveness from things that happened decades ago when they were your age. And guess what? If I was the enemy, I'd come at you too. From the giftings I saw on this platform and the anointing to be set forward in the future, I'd come at you too. And so what you have to learn now is how to address a wound. You have to learn now, how do, I, how do I take trauma and move forward? How do I receive a hurt and move on with it? Am I wounded for good? 
Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you that in just a few brief moments, you would speak through me, over me, past me. God, supersede me, all of my fallacies and inadequacies, God, that you would just speak and use me as a vessel this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you would begin to prepare the hearts of your people, God. You prepare our hearts and identify areas in our life to allow you to heal this morning. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. They say time heals all wounds. They lied. Otherwise, my wrist would be able to bend further than this. Supposed to do this, but senior year in high school, I broke it in three places and then never quite really got it fixed. Time didn't do a thing about it. Pastor Randon, how's that knee? We'll find out on 8K day, won't we? The biggest shock was not finding out that I was going to preach Wednesday here in Sugarland. It wasn't that I found out it was you Sunday. It was that I found out this morning Pastor Randon was running an 8K. And old wounds, I guarantee you, when he begins to put pressure on something, he's going to feel a wound. And you know, if time healed all wounds, God wouldn't have sent his one and only son. He would have sent us a clock. Just wait. It'll get better. But he didn't. He says, I need to address some things. Everyone in this room has suffered wounds at the hand of the enemy. Every single person has suffered and will suffer wounds at the hands of the enemy. Wounds like abandonment, neglect, harsh words, any form of abuse, sexual, emotional, physical, mental, the loss of loved ones, humiliation, betrayal. We've wounded ourselves with sin, with disobedience. The Bible says sexual immorality is sinning against your own self. Self-inflicted wounds. And we've been lied to with this belief of this is just the way it's going to be. This is just the way it is. I'm wounded for good. How can I change something that happened in the past? You can't. We're bound by time, but I serve a Savior who is not, who in this moment in 2019 can reach back into 1983 when your father walked out the door and heal something in that moment. And if we believe in that and if we turn to him, we can step out of this spot of the, the word brokenhearted shows up all throughout Scripture, and if you actually translate it more directly, you can replace it with shattered soul. But here's what he says in, in Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. They have that for me. Psalm 34, verse 18. Or I'll jump to it myself. It says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He's close to the brokenhearted. He wants to rescue those whose spirits are crushed. And that word rescue right there is actually the, the word yasha, which means to deliver. Here's what I know. That, that a wounded, broken heart left untreated will get infected. And the infection of a broken heart is spiritual oppression. How do I know this? Isaiah 61.1. He says he's going to come and he's going to set the captives free. Right before that, he said he came to heal the brokenhearted. So which captives? The brokenhearted ones. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Why? Because in the crushing came bondage. And where there's bondage, there's a need for deliverance. And so we have to recognize the bondage and the signs of a wounded soul. There are many, but can be simplified in emotional triggers, overreactions, grudges, those replays of specific memories, insecurities, relationship issues, bad patterns, bouts of depression and anxiety, all of these stemming from a wound. Sometimes just a single moment. Sometimes repeated moments in your past, in your history, in your childhood. Things that people have done to us or things people have done to ones we love, things that we've done to ourselves and things we've done to others. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, it says, Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Today, for the just next few moments, I want to focus on the main spiritual oppression that we see coming out of a wounds. And this is the exact spirit that was tormenting Saul. Saul loved David. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that Saul loved David. Yet in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, he throws a spear at David. He operated outside of his normal uh, will and control, and from a wound, he attacks someone he loves. But what happened to Saul? We read that in, in 1 Samuel 15. What happened to Saul that caused this wound? The spirit of rejection. The moment that the Lord say, said, I have to reject you now as king, a spirit of rejection began to torment Saul. He was still on the throne, but he knew his days were numbers. He was still in place, but he wasn't set. He wasn't settled. He wasn't comfortable. He had been rejected. And now the Bible doesn't say that God sent this spirit of rejection to torment Saul. It, but, but the effects are the effects. When we face rejection in our lives, it begins to breed in spiritual oppression. And there's a difference between experiencing rejection and receiving rejection. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus instructs his disciples. He says, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. What are you saying? You're going to go to places that reject you, but you cannot receive the rejection. You have to be able to walk out of there and leave the rejection behind. And the biggest difference from when you receive rejection and you experience it is that when you receive it, you begin to give it. When you've received rejection, you begin to give rejection. You begin to push people away. Your way of coping with problems and coping with the world is to shut everybody else out. And what you're doing is manifesting what's been given to you, rejection. And rejection is tricky because it shows up in a lot of different ways and a lot of different people. And the most obvious is you know those people who always need AAA? Attention, affirmation, and approval. Attention, affirmation, and approval all the time. Hey, was this good? How was this? Hey, look at me. And all these things. Hey, this, why? why? Because they're trying to fill a void. Because at some point they, they were rejected and they're so desperate for acceptance that they'll do anything to receive it. But just because you're not a needy person doesn't mean you're not dealing with rejection. As a matter of fact, the very idea that you don't need anybody might be its own manifestation of rejection. Because when you went without something for so long, it was a lot easier to just convince yourself that you didn't want it, that you didn't need it. That I don't, I don't feel like I need it. I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't need pastors. I don't need friends. I don't need loved ones. I don't need mentors. But it's not until you actually experience it that you realize it's what's been missing. Many of us didn't realize that we needed a small group until we got into a small group. We didn't realize that we needed, we needed a, a welcoming, warm house of God to come and worship until we walked in to a welcoming, warm house of God and worship. And we have to recognize the need for this. Another thing is, and not, not prescribed, but, um, and not medically diagnosed, but you know those people with multiple personalities? They act one way with this group of people, and they act another way with this group of people, and they act one way at the front of the church, but a different way at the backside of the church. And the problem is if we're not careful as Christians, you know what we do? We label that as fake. But can I tell you, that's just searching. That's just desperate. I will become anyone for anybody so I can be accepted because of the spiritual rejection that I face. David gets a spear thrown at him. What did David do? Be David. All David was doing was being David. But the reason it elicited that response from Saul is because Saul saw in David that which he did not see in himself. 
Can I tell you, students, some people don't not like you. They just don't like that you like you. They don't like that you're okay with who you are. They don't like that you're discovering your spiritual giftings. They don't like that you're not depressed all the time and that you're not constantly searching for affirmation and approval and that you're just okay being you and you don't have to get all the latest stuff and you can just walk on by and be okay. And maybe your hair doesn't have to look perfect every day. Maybe you can just be you. And you're like, oh, they're so cocky. What do we even do with that? No, I just know who I am. More importantly, I know whose I am. And I'm not desperate seeking attention and approval in all these places because I can be secure in that. In Genesis, the Bible says that God rejected Cain and his gift. He didn't just reject Cain's offering. He rejected Cain because of the the quality of the gift that he presented. And what happened next? Cain killed Abel. Cain would not have killed Abel if God had also rejected Abel's gift. But when he saw the acceptance of Abel, faced his own rejection, it resulted in a violent attack from Cain to Abel, from a spirit of rejection. And to be healed and set free, we have to go on this journey of asking ourselves, what is the wound? How deep is the wound? How did it come into being? What doors need to be closed? And this is where it gets messy. The answers don't always point to like one moment, come up and pray with someone on the altar and it's over. This is, a, this is a walking out. This is why you have pastors and leaders and small group leaders and support around you. And students, right now, if you can learn to address and recognize wounds as they happen, you could avoid years of anger, of bitterness, of hurt, of anxiety, of elicited responses that you never meant to have. So this morning, real quickly, I just want to give you three points of how we address wounds. And the first one is this. The first thing you have to do is cleanse the wound. You have to cleanse the wound. This is the simplest, yet sometimes the most difficult step. You remember when you were little and you scraped your knee and your mom brought out that giant brown bottle with the white cap of hydrogen peroxide? And she promised it wasn't going to sting, but boy, she lied. Mom looked at me right in the eyes and said it wasn't going to hurt. Oh, and that was a trust issue from there on because it started bubbling up and it stung. Why? Addressing a hurt stings. Why? Because you have to admit that you've been cut open. You've got to admit that your blood is showing You have to admit that there's something beneath the surface that got ripped open and it stings. But Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins and does not not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And we saw this so clearly about, I can't believe it's been a year and a half already, but after all the Harvey cleanup we began to do, Pastor Rannon mobilized us as a team to just go out and begin to tear out homes and to dry them and, and to set people up. But one thing we found is that as we were ripping out the sheetrock, the mold had already grown up to the ceiling in certain houses. That mold wasn't from Harvey. That mold was from Ike years before. But people didn't know how to address the infection, so they just ripped out and covered it back up. And you know what's the worst thing about it? That since then they've been living with for years thinking that they had allergy problems. You don't have allergy problems. You have something growing behind the walls. And then they begin to accept the label for themselves. Well, I just need to be on Zyrtec the rest of my life. I just need allergy shots. My sinuses are just bad. No, they're not. You covered something up. And it's behind the surface and needs to be addressed. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And I love this because we have stuff to clean off. And remember, we we read Jesus tells the disciples, Look, when you face rejection, you're going to have to dust off your feet. But then what did he do the night before he died? He said, Bring me your feet and he washed them for them. Bring me your feet. Because I understand you faced rejection and you had to dust some things off on your own, but I also understand that you couldn't get it all off. 
So bring it to me. Let me address it. Let me face it. And he tells him, let me wash your feet. And Peter refused at first. Jesus, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, unless I wash your feet, you don't belong to me. And Peter says, then wash my head and my hands too. And so Jesus does. And then he tells him this in, in Luke 22. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brother. He said, Satan's coming after you. And guess what? He's going to get you. But when you've repented, when you're ready to cleanse that wound, come back to me again. And so what happens? We know the story. Peter denies Jesus three times, just like Jesus said he would. But you know what we kind of leave out in that story? After the third denial, it says that Peter left that place weeping bitterly. Peter wounded himself in his denial of Christ. And where we find him next after the resurrection is back on the boat fishing just like he used to do. But Jesus was so good, he couldn't leave it unresolved that he shows back up on the shore. And that Peter, when he recognized that that was Jesus on the shore, jumps off the boat, swims to him, and has a moment of reconciliation, of cleansing the wound with Jesus right there. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Giving him opportunity the three times that he denied him to the three times to reaffirm the love he had for his Christ. And in that moment, he had a cleansing. Sometimes we say, forgive me of my sins without acknowledging the wounds that were created. You know what I mean? Like, like if we're leaving the parking lot today and you're just in a hurry for lunch because I took too long or something, and you like T-bone my car, I'll forgive you. I'm hungry too. But it doesn't, my forgiveness does not get rid of the fact that my body's going to be sore, that I, I might have broken something. My car is wrecked. There's damage that takes place that forgiveness does not heal. You may have forgiven, but I, I was, uh, we're working through a freedom group right now at our, uh, at our Nederland campus, and I have a young man working with me that was like, I, I forgave my father years and years ago, but I didn't realize how it's affecting me now. He forgave, but now he's facing the spirit of rejection, and now he's having to learn how to deal with it and trust other people. And you know what Satan was trying to do? He was trying to keep the mic out of Peter's hand on the day of Pentecost. If I can come at him now, if I can wound him then, then I know the moment when the Holy Spirit falls, he won't feel up to it and he won't be ready. And he might not even be there. Students, if he can get the mic out of your hand, when the day he wants to move, then the thousands that Peter brought to come to know him might never have been. We have to address that wound. Number one is you have to forgive the offender who could very well be yourself. You could be that offender that you have to forgive and you have to pray for those who have offended you. Now that's, I understand that is much more complicated than it seems. As not as simple as it is, oh, just forgive them. Just forgive them for that abuse. Just forgive them for that betrayal. Just, just for, forgive them for that humiliation. But that's why, like he said, this is another family. And you turn to your family and you walk it out day after day after day, choosing to walk in forgiveness. So number one, you have to cleanse the wound. Number two, you have to bandage the wound. And how you bandage the wound matters. Now this is important. You have to keep them in this order. You cannot cover it until you've cleaned it. But once you've cleaned it, we have to cover it. But I would be willing to say that much of the sin and addiction we see in this world is just people misbandaging wounds. They have wounds and they're trying to bandage it with alcoholism and, and, and with drug abuse and with sexual morality, eating disorders. I break the news to you guys, little Debbie is not the great physician. But man, a, a Swiss roll cake can sure do the trick sometimes. 
We fall into patterns of, of self-loathing and perfectionism. And, and you may say it's OCD, but are you sure you're not just striving to make sure everything's perfect so they don't leave you too? To control that situation so I'm good enough now and I have to present this as this is who I am because you're so afraid of other people's responses to who you are? What do we do with that? You wrap it in worship. You bandage your wounds by wrapping it in worship. We find David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, he had wounded himself. He had committed adultery, then had that woman's husband killed, and then now she had gotten pregnant with his first son. But because of that wound, it, it regenerated in a rejection of that offspring. God was rejecting the life that came out of that wound. And here's why. So now this, this child is sick and the child is dying. And it says that on the seventh day, the child died. David had been resting at the bedside of this son, wailing and groaning and tearing his clothes, begging and pleading for the life. But on the seventh day, the child died, and David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He said he wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing is he going to do now when we tell him the child is dead? And when David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. And after that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. He got up, he cleansed the, cleansed the wound, and then he went to wrap it in worship. Why? Because David had experienced rejection before. That's where he first learned how to worship, while he was rejected under the tree, out in the field, while all of his brothers were being, were being anointed and, and presented by his father. But he was the one being rejected out there. He was the one sent out to be the lowly shepherd. And what did he learn to do in that place? Is to produce worship. Saul in 1 Samuel was being tormented by a spirit of rejection. And his servant says, hey, there's this guy named David, and he worships, and he plays music, and he does all these things. And so Saul's like, all right, bring him in. And this is where Saul made a turn that he could never recover from. Because David would play and Saul would feel better, but it was only temporary. Why? You cannot bandage your wound with someone else's worship. And when Saul tried to bandage his wound with David's worship, it was over. It was over. That's when it resulted in him throwing spears. That's when it resulted in him brewing a hatred for David. Because instead of going and pleading with God for himself, we never read that Saul apologized to God or tried to plead to cry out to God. He told Samuel to do it for him, and then he asked David to come in and worship for him. But he never had that moment. Just because this team gets up and delivers great worship on a Sunday morning does not mean that they're worshiping on behalf of your wound. Lauren Daigle on Spotify is fantastic, but she does not know what you went through 10 years ago. When do you present your wound to God? When do you address what happened? When do you bring it to the Lord? We see in the life of Jacob that he showed up on the field of Laban, and in a moment he saw Rachel. And Rachel had to have it going on because it says he agreed to work for Laban for seven years for her hand in marriage. That girl had a... But then the Bible also says that she had an older sister named Leah. And we don't really know what Leah looked like, but the Bible says she was weak in the eyes. I don't even know what that means. But it sounds like Leah had a good personality. And so, so David's, I mean, uh, Jacob's like, all right, no, I'm going for uh, Rachel. She's the one. 
works for seven years for, for her hand. He finishes the agreement. They have a big festival and a party and they celebrate. Jacob gets a little bit tipsy and he wakes up next to Leah. And he's like, Laban, what's up? I was working for you for seven years for Rachel. Why, why am I next to all weak guys over here? Like, what happened? And then it says he agrees to work another seven years for Rachel's hand. And you know what he says? The Bible says, but the next seven years were just but a few days because of his love for Rachel. Shut up, Jacob. <laughs> Little. You know what we never address? How did that make Leah feel? This man's willing to work 14 years for your sister because you're not good enough? And you know what? We find out what that produced in Leah. In Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben, for she said, the Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. Turning into self-pity. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Again, I'm unloved, this pity from the rejection that I experienced. And in verse 34, it says, And then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. And he was named Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I've given him three times. I mean, three sons. What is she trying to do now? Cover this wound with the affection from someone else. And can I tell you that if you enter a relationship, enter a relationship without having uh, addressed wounds with the Lord, it is not your significant other's job to bandage them. And it's not their fault that they cannot you can't use someone else's affection to cover a wound. But look at verse 35. It says, once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, now I will praise the Lord. The first chapter of the New Testament, you know, the one that we all skipped over. This is the line of, of the descendants of the Messiah. So-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. And yeah, that's all nice. Give me to Matthew 2. But you know what it says? It says, Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah. Jacob begot Judah. And 14 generations later, out of the line of rejection, became the Messiah of the world. Rachel had kids too. Rachel had Joseph, the second in command over all of Egypt, one of the most memorable passages in all of Scripture and how he rose and clung to the, to the word and the promises of God. But it wasn't through that line that came Jesus. Why? Because praise out of a rejected heart produces deliverance. Praise out of a rejected place. Why? Because right now on this earth is the only time you will have the opportunity to worship with the weight of a wound. When we, get, when we all get taken up to heaven and, and what a glorious day that will be and we're worshiping and everything's all beautiful, guess what? No more sorrow, no more pain, no more bitterness, no more anger. It's all erased. And yes, the worship will be nice, but what about right now while you're still hurting? What about right now while you're feeling abused? What about right now while you're feeling rejected? What about right now when everything's not okay? There's a power in that praise that can only be produced through rejection. That can only be produced through the weight of what's going on around you. I'm gonna wrap up with this. Last thing is what we have to do is to now monitor the wound. I've cleansed the wound. I've bandaged the wound, but I need to monitor the wound. I need to keep checking on it. I can't just, oh, well, I said that prayer that one time and we talked about it and now it's whatever. No, I need to keep checking the fruit that's growing. You know, it wasn't even until I started diving into the psychology of all of this about a year ago that I began to discover wounds that were already in my own life. 
ones that I have from an older brother who just did older brother stuff. You know what I mean? Like there was one time he left me duct tape to the tree in the front yard in my underwear for like hours. But that's, that's older brother stuff. That happens. At least that's what he told me. I, but you know what? You know what I've realized now? I'm 28 years old, 20 years later, that something produced within me this competitive need to prove myself because of needing to prove myself to an older brother who demeaned me when I was younger. And it wasn't, like, like, please hear me. I was not abused. I wasn't, like, hurt and harmed, but just the, the constant demeaning and feeling that I needed to be a man and prove myself still to this day produces a competitive, competitiveness in me that is not always healthy. Wait till y'all have, start having Christmas parties around here and Pastor Lindsay's playing in the games. You're going to see some competitive natures come out that can only come from a wounded place. <laughs> but we have to address these things. Psalm 139 verse 23 through 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Keep checking the fruit. Keep checking the fruit. It's the very last thing. I'm closing with this. If you've been through wounds and you've experienced rejection and you've come out on the other side, just let me encourage you of this. Do not hide your scars. Do not hide your scars. Scars are a testimony of God's ability to heal deadly wounds. What would, have, what would it have been if Jesus had never revealed his scars to Thomas? There are Thomases all around you that need to see your scars. Those people in the office next to you need to know that you lost a child too. There's people around you in their life that need to know that you went through a divorce too. There's people in your life that need to know like, hey, your father's not always there for you either that there's times when you're lonely too. There's times when you're rejected too. There's times when you're left alone too. Those scars bring healing. They're a testimony in in our lives and they're a weapon to use against the enemy so that when he comes at you, I can say, devil, like you tried that already. Like I'm good, see? It's right here, you missed, we're fine. You know my favorite scar is? The one on the bottom of the Messiah's feet that that he got from crushing your head. That's a really good scar that I like to bring up in his face. There are scars in your life that you can point to and say, no, 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 devil, look, you tried that. We're done. I'm healed. I've moved on. In the words of the prophet Elsa, I let it go. We're beyond this. We've got to be more. We can't be held back. But here's the thing you can't do. We can't act like we're not facing stuff. You can't act like it's not there. Like, no, I'm just, that's just my type of personality. We'll change it. There's a reason that's your type of personality, because there was a wound, because there was a hurt. There's a promise of healing if you'll allow it. I'm going to read this one passage. I promise that's it. Then we're going to pray. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 12 through 19, it says, this is what the Lord says. Your injury is incurable, a terrible wound. There is no one to help you or to bind up your injury. No medicine can heal you. All your lovers, your allies have left you and do not care about you anymore. I've wounded you cruelly as though I were your enemy, for your sins are many and your guilt is great. Why do you protest your punishment, this wound that has no cure? 
I've had to punish you because your sins are many. Your guilt is great, but all who devour you will be devoured, and all your enemies will be sent into exile, and all who plunder you will be plundered, and all who attack you will be attacked. I will give you back your health and heal your wounds, says the Lord, for you are called an outcast, Jerusalem for whom no one cares. But this is what the Lord says. When I bring Israel home again from captivity and restore their fortunes, Jerusalem will be rebuilt on its ruins and the palace reconstructed as before. There will be joy and songs of thanksgiving. I will multiply my people not diminish them. I will honor them and not despise them. That is your promise. That is your promise to every wound, to every attack. But we have to be willing to address the wound. So I'm going to do one thing this morning. Um, If Pastor Randall wants to open up the altars later, I'll let him uh, kind of handle that. But I just want to do one thing here. And it's actually something I began doing with my young adults over this past year. And and it's really turned into an experience where what I'm going to do is just a minute, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, to take you back. For some of you, he's already given you memories. He's already put names in your head that if I spoke that name out, you would get angry just at the sound of that person's name. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to do that for you for just a moment. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look for Jesus when that happened. We're going to go back to that place, and then we're going to ask Jesus, where were you? And you know what he's going to do? He's going to tell you. He's going to show you. He's going to show you where he was loving you the whole time, watching you the whole time, pleading for you the whole time. So I'd ask you in this moment, don't indulge me. I don't need this for my sake. But indulge the Holy Spirit for a moment. So right now in this place, with every head bowed, every eyes closed, look within yourself. What was that moment? What was that hurt? What was that trauma? What was that betrayal? What were those words that were said that still to this day cut deep? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would begin to reveal to the hearts of your people old wounds, Father, that have yet to be recognized, God. Old wounds that we thought we had gotten over. Old wounds that we thought we were past. I now, Holy Spirit, speak. You're not making up that memory. That's the Holy Spirit bringing it to the forefront of your mind. You're not making up that hurt. The Holy Spirit is drawing it right to you because he wants to deal with it this morning. Jesus, we worship you. When you have that memory, when you have that line, when you have that hurt, when you see that relationship that was broken, what I want you to do now is just ask him, Jesus, where were you when this happened? Jesus, what do you have to say about this? now, God, we ask you, Lord, that you would move through this place and heal. Paul said one of the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit was the power to heal. We just declare right now that the Holy Spirit is moving through and healing old wounds. Lord, as, if you t- as you've taken us back to that place,
Maybe it's a collection of places that something happened time and time and time again. Holy Spirit, heal the wound right now. Jesus, you promised to never leave us or forsake us, and you didn't. But now we're asking for healing. Thank you for it right now. Lord, when we worship, we're going to worship from a place where the wound has been cleansed. We're going to cover it in worship. Lord, we're going to heal from this thing. It's not going to define us any longer. It's not going to control our behavior any longer. It's not going to control relationships. It's not going to dictate our trust in you as Lord and Savior because you're healing us right now. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 How do you feel better this morning? Thank you, Pastor Albert. Give him a hand. Did you enjoy the word today? Here's what I want to do is we're, we're going to open these altars. If you need prayer ministry, some of you, 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 you know, God's just really opened something up in you and you want somebody to stand in with you and pray with you. We want to pray for you today. Whatever's going on in your life, God cares about you. He cares about the needs and he cares about the hurt and he cares about the wounds. And I just believe those words of the, the prophet Jeremiah, that, that God's not done with us. He has good things in store for you. And he's going to heal you. He's going to set you up. And he's going to restore you. Healing is possible in your life. Stand with me if you would. Thank you for worshiping with, with us today. I hope you enjoyed all of our students as we worshiped and served. Did, you, did they do a good job today? your kids are not involved in our student ministries, know this. First of all, we have our once a month service every Wednesday night right here at the church at 7 p.m. The other weeks we're in our, our home. We'd love to have your kids there at 7 o'clock. Uh, it happens. And then our, our uh, junior high ministry takes place every Sunday morning other than this one. Uh, the kids go upstairs. They have a great time. And so I'm so proud of all of our students. I bless you today. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and may he give you his peace. May he put his name, the name of Jesus on you. And you say, God bless you. These altars are open. Come let us pray with you. Don't leave this place without covering your wound and letting God heal you. We'll see you this week.